people may have seen the attack on the Irish Health Service the other week. What you see there is missed appointments. You see dropped surgery. You see missing patient records. You know, the impacts of that are huge. You really are talking a life and death impact. Matt Palmer, head of Jersey's new cyber firefighting unit, CERT, the Computer Emergency Response Team. This is the Bailiwick Podcast, and I'm news editor Fiona Potney. Cyber warfare is getting serious. Once upon a time, hacking attempts were largely conducted by bedroom dwellers hoping to make a quick buck from their IT skills by tricking people into dishing their bank details. By 2017, Jersey's government was getting hit by around 500 high-level cyber attacks every day, while some island entities were getting hit by 4,000 or more. Hackers and other digi-criminals have only got stronger since then, and many of them care less about cash and more about grabbing data and poking holes in national security with a political aim in mind. Last month, Ireland's health service fell victim to an international ransomware attack, described as its most significant to date, while the largest petroleum pipeline in the US was reportedly breached as a result of a single leaked password. As the threat heightens, Jersey is preparing itself by pouring millions into cybersecurity infrastructure and setting up a fourth emergency service, CERT. Not only will it be firefighting when a cyber crisis breaks out, but it will be giving guidance and advice to smaller businesses. Most importantly, it will be tasked with finding and plugging the gaps in Jersey's national security, shoring up the island's key infrastructure and, crucially, its financial services, which make up more than a third of the economy. The man leading and building that team is Matt Palmer, who has 20 years' experience in the sector. I started by asking him how threats have changed since the millennium bug of the year 2000. Yeah, so the millennium bug ages me perfectly because I just missed that one. Okay. Uh, that was just as I sort of left university, really, was the turn of the millennium. So um, when I came in, um, the first few years of my career was spent working in general IT. Um, and then I sort of moved into information security as a new field was very much a new field at the time. So the organisation I was uh, was working at the time, Skipton Building Society, you know, most financial services institutions now would have an information security function that'd be quite mature. Even in that type of organisation at the time, it was pretty new. So it was very much uh, everyone trying to understand what the challenges were, how to respond to it, and putting in place basic controls that today would look very different. So what type of uh, threats might you have been dealing with at the time or, or challenges? Well, a lot of it was very basic. So making sure that people you know, have the correct accounts to log on to, that computers are up to date and these sorts of things. And of course, you have backups. You know, we see today um, what happens when you don't. And the interesting thing is, you know, many of those same basics are just as true today as they were 20 years ago. In fact, I think just as true today as they were 50 years ago. I think what's really changed isn't really how we respond to cybersecurity so much as the threat itself. So when I started out, we were really dealing with uh, amateur hackers, uh, maybe uh, attacking systems for fun, and of course, people making mistakes, um, or companies not putting in place you know, just sensible controls. Where we are now, the world has moved on a great deal, and you know, cybersecurity, which wasn't even a term back then, you know, that's now a big thing. And we talk about nation-state attacks. We talk about the roles of Russia and China and other countries in this. 
the roles of the US and, and, and the UK and really as a sort of geopolitical football as well as a, a, a real practical day-to-day issue. And that is a big change because what we see is we see organised crime getting involved. We see large amounts of effort put in. So if I give you a really practical example, 20 years ago, if you received a phishing email, which is an email from someone trying to persuade you to click on a link or download some malware to your computer, that would probably be an amateur written email saying, you know, something about, uh, you know, an inheritance from Nigeria or someone lost in Spain who's forgotten their passport. Someone in a bedroom somewhere. That's it. It's someone in a bedroom copying an email, very often with typos and errors, just and sending out thousands on the off chance that they'll be successful. In recent years, what I've seen is advanced attackers put months or years of effort into compromising a particular organisation or individual with really quite sophisticated um, you know, attacks and amounts of work going into that. So they'll put considerable resources into achieving something. They'll target you intentionally. And as a result, it's much, much harder to defend against it. And of course, the impacts are bigger now as well. So the other side of it, you've got this increased threat, but you've also got bigger impacts. So 20 years ago, we were talking about maybe data loss or perhaps the loss of some photos on someone's computer. And whilst that hurts and it's personal and it's often very distressing, what we're seeing today, so you, you may have noticed, people may have seen the attack on the Irish Health Service the other week. What you see there is missed appointments. You see drop surgery, you see missing patient records, you know, the impacts of that are huge. You really are talking a life and death impact because I don't know about you, but I do not want to miss, you know, a heart surgery or a cancer appointment because of a cyber attack. And this just wasn't the case in the past. So it's changed. Those have changed um, incredibly. And that, I think, is why it's now such a serious issue and why everybody has to sit up and pay attention. In the past, you could maybe let this go and you know, hope it wouldn't impact you, that's really no longer a, a viable position to take. You know, it's as fundamental as, as anything else. And basic precautions, really, the same as, you know, looking before you cross the road. It really is in that category because cyber is something that impacts us every day. Absolutely. And you, you've sort of talked about, uh, you know, people in their bedrooms might have been coming up with emails back in the day, sort of yeah. suggesting you're in for an inheritance. The objective then was always money. It sounds like one of the biggest parts is that we're looking at security, more national security, as you say, and the political threats as well. Is, is, that, um, is, is that a big change? It is a big change. So I think there were two reasons why people, you know, did this um, a long time ago. One was for fun or for interest, or just because it was the only thing to do, or people were trying to learn new skills. Um, and the other one, of course, is is for money or reward. Um, money and reward, you know, and, and personal interest are still drivers behind bad behaviour today. Perhaps personal interest less so, because there are lots of good legitimate jobs in cybersecurity. You know, you don't have to be a bad guy to, to, to make a career out of it, and, you know, that's a big, big difference. What has happened, though, is... As it's become clear that you know information is you know as powerful uh, as anything else in the world, and that you can have a huge impact through influencing public opinion, um, or through disabling systems or services, this has you know reached the attention of, of of nation states who quite rightly see it as 
something that they need to needs to be part of their defensive arsenal. Yeah, um, it would be wrong not to do that, and you can see that in the UK with um, you know the National Centre for Cybersecurity, and you know in military terms a um, joint cyber unit to to protect the country. Um, you also see it in terms of what's called offensive security, and and that's going out and actively attacking people either for national security reasons or because you know you want to find out who's been attacking you. Um, and that is a growing risk. Um, but actually what tends to impact businesses and individuals isn't you know, the, the normal you know, behaviours of nation states engaging in, uh, in, in disputes, disagreements and geopolitics. It's what happens when this moves into the area of um, you know, criminals uh, uh, and, and, um, and cyber attackers who maybe see themselves as supporting a national objective, but are really acting you know, independently. Um, and we see a lot of that. So going back uh, th- through my experience, things like um, NotPetya and, and WannaCry a few years ago, which took down large parts of the National Health Service, as well as huge companies. Like Maersk alone suffered a $300 million hit um, from one of those. And that was really an immense credit to them because they had a high degree of readiness and worked very hard to recover. Otherwise, you know, who knows what the impact would have been. Um, you know, these have a much bigger impact on individuals, on the community, uh, and in fact on businesses than the sort of attacks that we've seen in the past. So it really raises the game and it forces everyone to focus and say, okay, it's not about just the day-to-day, you know, what's going to happen today or tomorrow, is an individual computer going to be compromised? It's what's the impact if something like this happens tomorrow? And, you know, a lot of people look at that and say, okay, well, um, you know, how much impact did that really have? And the answer is, it really had a huge impact. We don't always feel it, but you know, a missed medical appointment or a company going out of business or these sorts of things, they are huge. But actually, we did get lucky. Um, so we found ways to deal with and respond to those attacks so they were disabled and we could recover. We can't assume that's going to be the case unless we put work into it. So it's, it's a huge amount of effort that's required across many organisations to lead, coordinate and respond to what's now a very complex environment. Let's just go into a bit of detail yeah. about uh, some of the, the, the more kind of recent threats that yeah. we see emerging. So can you talk us through things like uh, ransomware, for example, how that functions and, and whaling as well? Yes. Um, so so, so it's, it's a very topical one is, is, is ransomware. This, of course, is what happened in all three of the examples I've mentioned. So WannaCry and NotPetya a, a few years ago, and also the, the Irish um, health service attack a few weeks ago. And if you follow the news, you may have spotted a colonial pipeline in the United States um, where they uh, cut off the energy supply as, as a result of this. And you can really see the impacts of it. Um, To a lot of people, however, it doesn't seem to make an awful lot of sense and it can be quite difficult to to understand what it is and how it happens and and what impact it can have. So fundamentally all that's happening here is somebody is trying to gain access to your computer and they're succeeding and usually that's because you've clicked on a link in an email, you've downloaded an attachment, you've downloaded something off the internet or something like that and it can be really hard to identify whether these are legitimate emails, legitimate links and downloads downloads or not. It's it's, it's a difficult thing to do. 
Um, and what happens when that software gets onto your computer is the attacker can then use it to take control of your computer and encrypt all your data to make it unreadable. It's rather like sort of shredding newspapers. The newspaper was readable before, it's not readable afterwards, and you can't possibly put it back together. Um, and that often, you know, that's actually a very good analogy because you know, in, in many of these, uh, they then demand a ransom, which is a payment of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. At that point, everybody gets very confused very often. You know, most people don't, wouldn't even know how to go about making a payment in Bitcoin, and so most people wouldn't try. I think the really sad thing is that for those who do try to pay a ransom, it often doesn't result in the return of data. Um, so, you know, generally, I would say don't pay ransoms if this happens to you. But much better advice is try and make sure it doesn't happen to you by taking sensible precautions. So with all of these, even though it sounds complicated, even though it sounds sophisticated, and even though it can sound actually quite scary, there are sensible things that you can do to stop yourself from being you know, impacted by it. Um, and, and there are things like you know, setting good passwords, not reusing passwords, using something called two-factor authentication, um, which I can, uh, can explain if you would like me to. Um, so two-factor authentication, um, this is a, a step forward from passwords. So a password protects your data because there's something you know and the attacker doesn't know it. So without knowing that piece of information, they can't access your computer. The problem is not all passwords are safe and secure. A lot of people use things like their mother's maiden name or the names of their children or the month of the year or common things like this. If I've just mentioned your password, now might be a time to change it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I've made these mistakes in the past as well. Yeah, they're, they're not, you know, not, not uncommon. It's, 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 it's normal human behavior to use words that we would remember. Um, the problem is that or, or other attacks can make it easy for attackers to get that password either through just trying time and time and time again or by looking you up on social media, you know, trying to understand a bit about you and, and guessing what those, uh, that those passwords are. When we talk about two-factor location, that's, some, that's having something that you know, a password, but also something you have or something that you are. So something you have might be a mobile phone, which you receive an SMS message out. You then put the code from the SMS message into the website in order to confirm that it's you. And, um, or it might be an app such as a Microsoft or Google Authenticator app that's even better. Again, you get a code on your mobile phone and you put that in to confirm that it's you. And the nice thing about these things is it makes it much, much harder for an attacker to compromise your device. So if there's one piece of advice that people should take away, it is please use two-factor authentication because it's the single most effective control at the moment. Let's um, just for a second uh, talk about uh, data breaches when they yep. do occur, particularly to small businesses. Yes. You know, a lot of them might be quite nervous um, to report that something's gone wrong because, you know, maybe that reveals that, uh, that there's been a hole in, in whatever processes they have currently. I mean, how, how do we get around that um, if people are a bit scared to say something's gone wrong, I need to address this? It's, it's, it's a real difficulty, actually, because sometimes people can be a bit embarrassed about the fact that it's happened to them. In that case, I'd say, you know, there's no point being embarrassed that it happens to you because it pretty much happens to everybody. Um, they can also be a bit reticent to come forward because sometimes businesses in particular are worried about the legal or reputational damage that, that might be incurred. Um, and once something gets into a, a legal environment or a sort of PR environment, it can be really difficult actually to work out how best to respond. 
um, it's not always easy. I mean, I, I taught talk a few years ago were a good example of putting a lot of effort into trying to communicate right, and they got nothing but criticism for it. So it's reasonable for businesses to be concerned about how they deal with these things. What I can say is it's generally better to be transparent. There are expectations that you would share information with people who have been impacted so they can do something about it. And if you don't do that in a timely manner, that can cause you legal problems, but more importantly, it can cost you customers. And it can cause real concern for you know consumers and people at home who are worried what's happened to my data, What's happened to my account? Should I be worried about my bank accounts or, you know, my uh, my photos or whatever else it happens to be? And I, I think the important thing is to do your best to communicate openly and transparently and to help people with those hurdles. So if you know people have been impacted, try and give them sound and solid advice as to how best to respond. And if they don't have to worry, tell them but you can still tell them what's happened. And if you need some help or advice with this, this is where we'd encourage businesses to get in in touch because this is part of the value that having a cyber emergency response team brings. Part of it, of course, is dealing with an incident when it happens. Part of it is that preparedness and that readiness. So what I would say to businesses, if you're not sure how you would respond if this happens, now might be a really good time to sit down and start planning that out. Run your own incident readiness exercise. Say, what if this happened to me? and work out how you would respond. And, you know, if you're stuck, if you don't know the answers, there are people you can turn to for help, whether that's the CERT or whether that's private security providers or whoever else. You know, there's a wealth of information out there. But being prepared in advance will really help you when this happens to you. And, you know, and don't be afraid of sharing. Um, one of the really sort of interesting comparisons here is aviation. You know, um, in the aviation industry, it's normal to share information on incidents, whether it's a near miss or whether it's something that's actually happened. You're expected to share this and it's normal and people don't worry about it. If we could get there in cyber, where it's normal to share that there was a near miss or it's normal to share that there was an incident, at the very least with a cert or with law enforcement professionals, if it's a, if it's a, you know, a criminal matter. Um, then that will make us all stronger because once we know this information, we can help everyone to defend and protect against it. So let's just uh, sort of chunk it up a level then. We, we've sort of spoken about uh, individual businesses, yeah. but um, looking at Jersey generally and its infrastructure, what areas could possibly be vulnerable to uh, cybersecurity threats and what can we do about those at that higher sort of government level? Yeah, so it's um, it's a really interesting time for governments and public sector organisations because what's happening not just in Jersey but everywhere in the world is a process of digitalisation. So whereas in the past files might have been in filing cabinets, now they're on computers. And whereas in the past we might have walked in and, and spoken to somebody about an issue we've got, now it tends to be digital communications, whether that's email or online. Um, and that does raise the game in terms of cybersecurity. So when we look at this, it's things like you know tax records, healthcare records, or you know the resilience of fire and police services and critical infrastructure to be able to handle and respond. You've got issues in you know we saw uh, an incident in the U.S. a few weeks ago where hackers managed to change the settings on a water plant and actually effectively poison the water supply. These are issues for every organisation to grapple with, you know, public and private sector, and they are really hard things to do. So in order to do that, not only does each individual organisation have to have good cyber controls, 
but we have to have coordination and leadership across the lot um, and work together to solve some of these problems because cyber incidents, they don't happen in a vacuum. They happen because organisations are working together because they're exposed to the world and really raising the standards there in terms of the level of protection given to systems, the level of resilience that we have. You know, these are really important things to do. And there is a lot of technology out there, a lot of capabilities out there that will help us do this. But, you know, modernization and digitalization, they're not optional things and they are raising the game for everybody. So those risks are significant. In addition to that, of course, you have Jersey is unique because it does have, for example, a large financial services sector, um, which poses its own risks. One of the nice things about financial services is they tend to be some of the more mature organisations uh, and certainly open to, to sharing and, and open to help. So, you know, th- that helps us with this, but it's still, you know, it's a big area to, to deal with in terms of reputational risk. Um, in the past, you know, we've always had great support in terms of legal services, in terms of infrastructure to help protect the reputation of the island. The reputation of the island is now incredibly closely tied to cybersecurity, so we need to get this right, or we do run the risk of incidents that will cause people to lose confidence in us as a jurisdiction in major organisations within Jersey, um, or or, or so on. And I think, um, you know, responding to that risk, making sure that we protect our international reputation, as well as having the practical capabilities to deal with an incident, those are going to be absolutely critical. So is it fair to say we're kind of moving into a space where looking at cyber, it's almost like a fourth emergency service, you know, would CERT be sort of the, the cyber firefighters, I suppose, where you're, you're looking at this uh, threat as it, as it develops it is, in the future? It is actually cyber response often is compared to a fire service because in many ways it's very similar in that it takes a huge amount of expertise and capability to be able to respond when something does happen, but most of the work is in preparedness. So your fire service is only effective because they train every single day, day in, day out. And they have plans to deal with every scenario that they think might occur. The challenge that we have in cyber is to get to the same point. So at the moment we have isolated pockets of capability and we do have some good controls and we have some organisations, including government, who are investing heavily in this area. But what we don't have is that level of maturity that we'd expect from the fire service or, or the police in discharging their duties. And to get there, we really need to get to that point where we are prepared for anything that we think can happen. We have the capabilities to respond to it. We know what we're going to do when things go wrong. Um, and we can be calm and collected and not panic when they do. Um, that's going to take some work and some coordination. And the CERT will be looking at what activities that you know that we can undertake, particularly across areas like critical national infrastructure, which is, you know, fire, police, telecoms, um, and so on, um, ports, these sorts of organisations, in order to really help make sure that we're actually, we have that ability to respond, that we are ready, that, you know, we have a group of trained professionals there who can be called upon in an emergency. So you're going to be leading that team. Uh, Tell me, what other kind of key uh, roles do you need on that team? And uh, how confident are you that you'll be able to find that expertise on the island? Finding these skills in Jersey is a challenge. It's always been a challenge. Um, About 10 years ago, I co-founded something called the Channel Islands Information Security Forum. And the reason I got involved in that was 
um, I'd come to Jersey in a manager role and I rapidly realised that it was going to be difficult to hire a replacement or indeed colleagues without hiring off island and of course we want to hire locally if we possibly can into all cyber roles whether they are in the cert or, or elsewhere we need that level of, of capability um, we do, still don't i believe have the level of cyber capability that we need across the island there's a real need for some capacity building and skills development and providing these resources so there are enough qualified people for for, for all the businesses and organizations that need them um, so I'm not expecting it to be an easy task. What I do think is we do have some very good skills in Jersey and we are going to have a small and lean organisation which is going to make it in some ways a challenge to find the right skills but it also means we can look at the skills that are out there and find the right balance of skills. And we're not going to be afraid of training either. Yeah. Um, I'm not expecting that we'll find you know, the, the skills in incident response that we need on, on day one um, everywhere. Um, so we'll be looking at how do we develop skills within a cert and how you know, do we support the rest of industry to have the, uh, the skilled cyber professionals that they need as well. Um, what I would say, though, is I'm very keen to hear from professionals in Jersey who maybe have an interest and experience in cyber and have you know that that public spiritedness, that desire to really have an impact across the community, because those are the key things that we're going to be looking for here. You really have to want to do it. Um, it is going to be a really interesting and dynamic role, um, but it's also going to be at times difficult and challenging. Um, so I'll be looking for the right people, and you know I, I have every confidence that we'll find them uh, find them in Jersey if we. Uh, you know, work to do it and, and, and to build skills and to build capability all across the, uh, the, the sector. So at first, this is going to be uh, part of a government department, it'll be under That's economy, right. but it may be the case that it turns into an arm's length organisation. What would be the advantage of that? Well, I think the key role of a CERT is to be a critical friend. Yeah. So what I mean by that is, you know, we're there to hold to account and to ensure effective delivery of cyber and where necessary to, to stand up, put our hands up and say actually this isn't working or this can be done better. And to do that it helps to have a degree of independence from the organisations that we are talking to in the same way that you know an auditor would be independent from a, from a company. Um, there are lots of different ways of delivering that and one of my priorities over the next sort of six months or so is going to be talking to a wide range of stakeholders, both in business, in, in industry, in government, and you know across the public sector, to really understand how that remit can you know be effectively delivered. In kind of practical terms, what might the outputs of CERT be that the community might see and be able to learn from? Well, I think the first thing I have to say is we're not going to breach any confidences. We want people to feel able to come and talk to us about issues. Um, you know, knowing that we're going to, to keep that confidence and look at the lessons that can be learned from it and share those. What we absolutely expect to be doing is sharing the lessons learned. So if we have, for example, let's suppose tomorrow an organisation in Jersey is subject to a targeted um, phishing attack or something like that. We have whaling, you mentioned, which is you know a phishing attack or similar that targets a, a high-profile individual or uh, you know, a particularly sort of important role. Um, these are very common. What we then want to do is understand whether that's likely to affect other organisations in Jersey. We look at whether we can learn from it, what we can tell people about how these things happen so that they can spot these attacks before they happen or when they happen to them. 
and to, of course, to alert people to ongoing attacks and threats so that people are aware that, you know, if we're seeing attacks from a particular, you know, IP address, which is a digital location or something like that, that that information is available. So we'll definitely be looking at data sharing. Um, there are already some data sharing mechanisms in place, and we'll be looking to you know, enhance and develop and communicate those and make sure that those deliver real practical value. What can we be doing, uh, for example, with children today that might enable them to have this sort of cyber security, cyber resilience in their minds from the get-go? Because obviously this is something that many of us are having to almost learn about now, having to play catch-up on. It's, it's really important, and one of the reasons that we have an issue today is that you know those of us in the workforce now many of us weren't taught this stuff as we were growing up growing up because it wasn't an issue we just didn't have connected computers um, I remember the first time I saw a computer um, I very much doubt my children will remember that it'll be like would you remember the first time you saw a motor vehicle no you wouldn't um, and I've got two kids they're, they're nine and twelve and I think what I take heart from is they're both they both have a level of awareness of these issues um, and we'll ask about these issues and they are increasingly conscious of the issues involved in social media for example and where you share information um, and the fact that there are bad people out there as well as good and a, a degree of caution is needed online as well as uh, you know just as you would if you were going for a trip to the park so I think some basis of awareness is there I think the challenge is how do we develop and uh, and teach it and I think that is something that we need to get to to, to grips with you know, as a community and in fact across the world. Uh, there are very few examples of really great cybersecurity education at primary level. Um, what there are are some really good initiatives. So several cybersecurity bodies already have uh, you know initiatives to do this, and there are organisations in Jersey who are already working on and looking at this. And I know that you know many schools and school teachers are also aware of these issues and, and actively teaching them to children so there's not a vacuum there you know there the, are the reasons to be positive but there's always more that can be done and I think addressing that issue and helping children understand how those core lessons of keeping yourself safe online then translate into being an adult and what they do in the workplace and how they behave at work and how they look after other people's data as that responsibility increases that's really important um, I, I think a lot of the issues that we've seen in recent years where we're talking about, you know, sharing photos or children accessing inappropriate websites or, you know, online stalkers and these sorts of things, um, you know, they are, they're real issues that we need to get to grips with. Um, and, uh, and many are getting to grips with, you know, the police have a role here and everybody. Um, but they're also sending us a message, which is this is something that is not going to go away. These issues were not there when we were young. Yeah, when I was young, there was no need to have a conversation about any of these issues. They are there today, and today's children, they are going to live with those issues their whole lives. Um, so we need to deal with that. It's not just about hard controls, though. It's about you can be a lot more vulnerable when your life is online. Um, and it's really important that when we go about things, so when we share pictures of our children and things like that, we also stop and think, actually, this could be out there for the rest of their lives. Yeah. How comfortable am I that they would want me to share this information, that they would want me to do this? Um, when we share information online, could this be used in an attack against me? It's not nice to have to think about these things, but in the same way that you wouldn't lose your car keys and your wallet on the dashboard of your car, yeah, you have to think about what exposing your life online is going to do. Um, and it, it, 
there is a risk there and there are precautions that can be taken. You may choose, you just constantly choose, I think, how much you want to share. And people can have these conversations at home as well as at school. So I have these conversations with my kids. In fact, more likely they have the conversation with me uh, and ask the questions, which, which is great. Um, but it's, it's a conversation we all need to have. Uh, you know, it's not just one for, for, for the education community.